Well, good morning, church. So good to be together and to be here today, especially coming off of Thanksgiving and a wonderful time where I hope you got to enjoy being with your friends and family. And if you're here today for the first time or maybe you've been visiting with us for a little while, we want you to know how glad we are that you are here and that we hope you'll find what so many of us have found, that this is a place that we can call home, uh, that this church truly strives to be more than just a church, but we, we want to be a faith family. We want to be a place where we're trying to live different because of Jesus and, and that really affects every part of our life. And, and it really affects this part of our life when we come to this season. Uh, this season where, where it feels like all the world for a moment sort of takes a look uh, at Jesus. Uh, they hear songs or they sing songs that reflect on who he is and his name. And, and today we're going to start a new series like Jason said earlier. Uh, and it's what we want to do over the next few weeks is sort of, you know, step back for a moment and take a, a look at the larger Christmas story. In fact, the way I would say it is that the whole story of Scripture is a Christmas story. Uh, From the very beginning of time, you see a picture of how love came down. And throughout the gospel story, throughout the the, the story of Scripture, throughout the narrative, over and over again, God, he just seems like he comes down over and over again in his love, in his grace, in his mercy, and then ultimately in Jesus. And and I look forward to the next few weeks as we kind of get to step into that together. But today... I want to start with this question as we sort of, you know, get going today. Have you ever had, and feel free to be honest, have you ever had one of those epic fail moments, you know, some, where something just did not go right and it was kind of, you know, embarrassing or funny or whatever? Yeah, epic fail. You, you can kind of, you know, search up this hashtag and see all kind of hilarious epic fail videos. One of them this week was so epic it really caught my attention. You probably saw it. Uh, our friends in Atlanta decided it was time to implode the Georgia Dome. Did you see this uh, on your social media feed or on the news? And, uh, and they've, they've been planning this for weeks. You know, experts have been studying how to do this best because to blow up the Georgia Dome in such a way to not affect anything around it, it takes quite a bit of thought and science and all this other stuff. And the Mercedes-Benz Stadium that they built to replace it is literally right next to it. I mean, you can, you know, almost reach out and touch it. And so we'll, we'll go and roll the video. They, they get the camera shot set up. The guys from the Weather Channel were there to right across the street to get a great video. And you'll see it kind of rolling here. Um, here it goes. Uh, you know, the first charges go off, and then all of a sudden, Marta shows up <laughs> and gets right in the screenshot. And they miss the whole thing. Talk about an epic fell, and this is just classic Atlanta, you know? I mean, this is like, it happens. All this kind of stuff happens to them all the time. Yeah, and, and Marta blocked the entire shot, and, and the Weather Channel did not get their shot. So I thought, yeah, I thought today I would just preach, you know, you know with, the, with the Marta bus in front of me if we could figure that out. It's... Um, it's one of those things, right? Another epic fail moment where things just didn't go quite right. And, 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 and I, I bet if I asked you this morning, we go around the room and everybody's got stories like this, right? Everybody's got stories where, man, something just did not go right. I remember uh, the family I grew up in for Christmas, like getting the Christmas tree was a really big deal. Now, I know some of you people that aren't real Christians have these artificial things in your house, and that's okay. <laughs> We'll pray for you later. But, you know, in my house, we had to have a real Christmas tree. And I've probably told this story before, but, you know, for me, like, Christmas begins when you get the family loaded up in the car and you're singing Jingle Bells all the way and you go out to, like, a tree farm or out in the woods and you cut down your own tree, you know, um, like, like, like they do in heaven. And, um, and what we always wanted to do, what I always wanted to do uh, is I wanted to find, like, the tallest tree that could fit, like, you know, from floor to ceiling in, in our living room. 
When, we, when, when our family lived in Atlanta, we had one of these houses. It was a two-story house, and the living room opened up to the second story, so it was these huge ceilings. And so, I, like, when we bought the house, I was like, this is going to be the best Christmas ever, right? And sure enough, we go out after Thanksgiving, go to the tree farm, and I'm looking for the tallest tree, like some little short thing won't do. And we find, I don't know, it's probably 18, 20-foot tree cut down. Strap it on the back. I think I had a trailer because the truck wouldn't hold it, right? And we get that thing home. And you have to buy a special tree stand for these trees that are this large and magnificent and beautiful. And Santa's going to be excited at our house on Christmas Eve. And uh, we get it home. We get it all set up, get it decorated, get the extension ladders out to decorate this thing because it's so big. And uh, it's just beautiful. I mean, I'm just really proud of this tree. A few days later, um, I'm at the office or somewhere, and, and Alicia calls me in tears. And I rush home, and I walk in the door to see my wife crying and the tree laying across the coffee table, <laughs> ornaments shattered to smithereens. It had fallen, you know, epic fell moment. Um, I would have to, like, tie this thing up with, you know, fishing line to get it to save the rest of Christmas. Epic fell. You know, we, we all have stories like this where things just don't quite go the way that we thought that they should. Sometimes they're funny. Sometimes they're not. And you probably, I don't have talked for very long, for you to start to recall all the times maybe in your own life where you had an epic film moment, but it wasn't funny. Where you had something that went wrong because of the decisions you made, because of sin in your life, and maybe you were hurt or the people around you were hurt. There were consequences. There was a price to be paid. And it doesn't take you very long, if you're anything like me, for you to start thinking about those moments and all of a sudden, you don't just start thinking about him, but you feel the weight and the pain that that caused just come rushing over you again. And throughout the story of time, people have always struggled with epic fell moments. And you probably know the story. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you've probably heard this story. Probably the first epic fell story it happened right after people entered the picture. You know, God had created the heavens and the earth and filled it with plants and animals, and it was beautiful and it was perfect. And, and then he put these two people, Adam and Eve, in the, in the garden. He said, you can enjoy everything in this garden. Everything in the Garden of Eden is yours to enjoy. All the animals, all the plants, the, the, the springs, everything. Just go enjoy it. It's yours. It's my gift to you. And it was perfect. And at that point in time, there was no such thing as tsunamis or hurricanes. There was no such thing you know, as cancer or even death. I mean, it was just, it was the world of God as God had imagined it to be. It was perfect. Everything was just as it was supposed to be. But God had told Adam and Eve, hey, there's one thing you can't do in this garden, and that's eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. But everything else you can do, and of course, you know, if you grew up in a house like mine, you know, as soon as your parents say not to do something, what do you want to do? That, right? And Adam and Eve end up, they end up eating from that tree. And as soon as they did, they, they realized they had not just broken the rules that God had given them, but they had broken his heart. And I want to read to you what happens after the first sin. What happens after Adam and Eve made that choice in that first epic film moment when they broke the one rule that God had given them not to break. Here's what happens in Genesis 3. If you have a Bible, you can open it up or turn that on. Genesis 3, we'll start at verse 8. Here's what it says. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. This is amazing, right? That, that at this point in time, at this point in the story, God descends 
from the very beginning of time. Our God is the God who descends to be with his people, to walk with his people in the garden. And maybe you grew up thinking that God was different, that God didn't like to be with you or didn't want to be around you or that God is far off or, or, or detached somehow. But, but from the very beginning, the God that we know and love, the God that we serve, the God that we're here today to worship, that God is the God who is with And in the very beginning of the story, we read that God was coming down once again, descending once again to walk in the garden in the cool of the eve with Adam and Eve. But the man and the wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. Remember, they had just sinned. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? God's walking around. Adam and Eve sinned. And felt it immediately. And from the very beginning of time, when people sin, people hide. So Adam and Eve go and they hide. And God comes down, God descends, and He comes looking for Him. And if you didn't know this about God, you can learn this too from this first story that whenever you sin, whenever you go against what God wants, you know, God still descends. And God comes looking for you. And God's going to find you. Sin always has consequences. That doesn't change. There's always a price. You know that. But I want you to see how God responds after the first sin. If you skip down to verse 21, you see this. God finds Adam and Eve. He talks to them. He tells them there's a price to be paid for their sin. They're going to have to leave the garden. And then verse 21, the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Now I want you to think about this. God finds Adam and Eve. He tells them, hey, there's a price to be paid for your sin. You're going to have to leave the garden. But God in his love, God in his mercy, God in his grace, kills, sacrifices some of the animals that he just created to make clothing for Adam and Eve. They had found some some trees and gathered some leaves to kind of sew together something to hide their nakedness, their, their sin and their shame. But God said that wouldn't do. And so God literally shed blood, killed, sacrificed animals he just created to make new clothes for them to wear. God in his love, God in his mercy, God in his grace made a way for them. And, and it's, it's because, and, and if you're a parent, you know this, that sometimes your kids are going to fail. But whenever they fail, it doesn't change your love for them, does it? God's love for Adam and Eve is unchanging. Yeah, there's a, a price to be paid for their sin, But his love for them is unchanging. And in his love, he sacrifices these animals he just made to make clothing for them so so they could be cared for in that way. But the story goes on. And that epic fail that Adam and Eve had in the garden wouldn't be the last. Adam and Eve, if you know the story, they have two sons. Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, their story starts off a lot like Adam and Eve's story starts off. They're given a good life to live. Cain is, is gifted to work with the ground and to bring up, you know, food and produce, you know, from the earth. Abel, Abel's the first shepherd we read about in the Bible, and he's gifted to work with animals. And, and, and as the story goes, you'll pick this up in Genesis 4, verse 2. It says this, When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented, catch this, some of his crops... As a gift to the Lord, Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry. 
and he looked dejected. So when it came time for the harvest, when it came time for worship, Abel brought the best of his lambs. Cain just brought some of his crops. God accepted Abel's gift, but not Cain's, and Cain got angry about that. Now, notice this. God didn't get angry. God didn't accept his gift because it wasn't the right gift. But God didn't get angry. Cain got angry. And so God descends again. Get this. God descends and he has a conversation with Cain. You'll pick this up in verse 6 where God says to Cain, Why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what's right. But if you refuse to do what's right, watch out. And, and if you underline your Bible, if you want to highlight this on your device, I would, I would, I would do, the, do that here. Because God says one of the best things you'll ever hear. God tells Cain, sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. God wasn't angry at Cain, but after Cain got angry, God descended to tell Cain, hey, this is what's going to happen. You have a chance here. This is a fork in the road moment in your life to either make things right, or if you don't, watch out because sin is crouching at the door and it's eager to control you. Some of you this morning, this isn't the message, but you may need to hear this because you may be angry for some reason and I don't know what it is. There may be something that's not right between you and God and you need to make it right because if you don't, and you know this, sin is crouching at the door and it's eager to control you. In fact, you probably know right now what door sin is crouching at, what sin is waiting for you, and what's going to happen if you go by that doorpost again. Sin crouches at the door and it's eager to control you. God in his love, God in his mercy, God in his grace descends to Cain and says, Hey, I get it. You're angry. Don't be. Just make it right. Unfortunately, Cain didn't do that. Cain instead invites his brother Abel to go for a walk one day. And if you're watching the movie, it's like, you know, the sun's going down, it's getting dark outside, the movie, uh, the music, the soundtrack gets a little dark and eerie, and you're screaming at the TV set, don't go! <laughs> like, you know what's going to happen. But Abel doesn't know what's going to happen. And they go for that walk, and, and Cain kills his own brother. Sin was crouching. And then this is what happens next. Because now... God descends again. In Genesis 4, Genesis 4, verse 9, it says this. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where's your brother? Where's Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's, am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground. Just like Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, now Cain is banished from that place because of his sin. And if you think about it, Adam and Eve didn't just lose one son that day, they lost two. Abel has died. Cain is a convicted murderer and he's banished. In the middle of this moment, you got to believe Adam and Eve felt such despair. The day Abel died, the day Cain was banished, no one grieved more, no one hurt more, no one lost more, no one felt more than Adam and Eve that day. 
that day, their story that they thought had taken a turn for the better, now it looks like it's taken a turn for the worse, and all hope is lost. That day, both their children are gone. And what are they left with? I'd say they're left with a lot of regret, right? I mean, if you're a parent, you know this works. And even if you're not, you can guess. Because Adam and Eve, I know what they were thinking that day. They were thinking, if we had just not eaten from the tree in the garden, we would still be under the provision, the protection, the perfection of that place. We wouldn't be out here where sin runs rampant. We could have protected our boys from this world and these choices. But now they're left with nothing but grief and darkness and despair. But this wouldn't be the end of their story because, well, because any story that's a with God story, it never ends in despair. If you flip over to Genesis 4, verse 25, this is what happens next. Eve gave birth to another son, and she named him Seth. For she said, God has granted me another son in the place of Abel. The biblical name Seth literally means God has appointed, anointed, or I love this word, compensated. God has given me another son in the place of Abel, whom Cain killed. And when Seth grew up, he had a son named Enosh. And at that time, the people first began to worship the Lord by name. God descended again, and God in his mercy, and God in his grace, and God in his love. Love came down to Adam and Eve again, and they were given another son. And this son's name would be Seth. And he would have a son named Enosh. And it was in that time that people began to worship the Lord. Why? Because Adam and Eve had experienced the love and the mercy and the grace and the compassion of God. And this, on maybe the darkest day of their life, hope came again. When it seemed like there was nowhere to go but down, God came down. In his love, in his mercy, in his grace, and on the darkest night, a flicker of light began to glow. And Eve was given hope again. Eve was able to feel love again and feel loved by God when God gave her another child, a newborn son named Seth. And I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you feel like maybe Adam and Eve felt in those days, that over and over again it seemed like there was nothing but grief and darkness and despair, whether they were getting kicked out of the garden or whether their children were killing each other and being killed. I don't know if you feel like whatever's going on in your life right now, that it feels like you're far from God or God is detached or you're not with God or God's not with you. I don't know if you feel like because of some of the epic fell moments in your life that For some reason, God can't love you or you can't be loved by God or you can't experience the love of God. Or it may be that because of your sin, like Adam and Eve, you feel like death has come into the picture. And maybe maybe something for you has died. Maybe not literal death, but maybe maybe because of the choices and the sin and, and the epic fell moments of your life. Yeah. Maybe a relationship has died. Maybe you know what that's like to feel the weight of that and to know that because of the choices you made and the things that you did, that now that relationship that once was so life-giving is now ended and you're estranged or you're detached or it's no longer an option to be in relationship with that person or those people because of what you did. 
Or maybe it was an opportunity. Maybe you feel like because of something you did or something in your past or an epic film moment that, that you lost out on another opportunity and you feel like people are just tired of giving you second chances because you always find a way to mess it up and you're wondering if there's any hope. Or maybe it's not that. Maybe, maybe you had such an epic fail in your life that, that something inside of you has died. It just feels numb. And in fact, you're doing everything you can to keep it numb because you don't want to feel that pain because it's painful. And you're wondering if there's any hope. Or maybe it's just that life hasn't turned out the way that you thought it would. And your future that you had dreamed of five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago, it's not the story you're living today. It's gone quite differently. It's gone sideways. It's not gone the way you thought it would. And you're wondering, is there any hope? And I think the storyline that we pick up on through the Bible reminds us that, that with God, if God is a part of your story, that there's always hope. I think if you read the whole story of Scripture, the the story of God, uh, what you realize is that when God is a part of the story, it always ends in hope. And in fact, when Luke, one of the first people to write down the story of Jesus, began to gather information and collect his research and write down the story of Jesus, one of the things he wanted to do, he wanted to tell people where Jesus came from. And I want you to see what Luke said about where Jesus came from in Luke 3. Verse 23, Luke says this, Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. And then he says this, Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. Joseph was known as the son of Eli. And Luke goes on, I won't read the whole list to you, to name off all the people that Jesus came from. And then in verse 38, he ends it this way. He said, Kenan was the son of Enosh. Remember that name? Enosh was the son of who? Seth. And Seth was the son of Adam, and Adam was the son of God. Luke wanted to point us back to a story from the beginning of of time where, where Adam and Eve thought their story was over, but that was just the beginning of the gospel story. Luke wanted to remind us that, yeah, Cain killed Abel, but then God gave Eve Seth, and it was through Seth, it was through the birth of that son that one day another son would be born, and his name would be Jesus. And that the God who descended in the garden, the God who descended outside of the garden, would descend again in flesh, in Jesus, and he would be born to the Virgin Mary, and he would grow up, and he would live And then one day, he wouldn't just sacrifice some animals to cover the sin and shame of his people. No, one day, he would sacrifice himself. And the Christmas story started in the Garden of Eden the day that Adam and Eve sinned. And it's brought forward all the way to today for you and I to remember that our God is always a God who is with. Our God is a God who always descends. And that every story that's a God story always ends in hope, not despair. And that today, no matter where you are in your story, no matter what's going on in your story, no matter where you are, where you feel like you are with God, the thing God wants you to know is that he is with you, or at least he wants to be. If you were to go back over your memory of those epic fail moments in your life that caused you a lot of pain, I wonder how many of those moments you could look back on and say that those were without God moments. Those were moments that for whatever reason... I was doing it all on my own. And yeah, it didn't work out once. And what God wants 
is to descend into your story again and for your story to be a God with story. So the question I want to ask you today is what part of your story needs God to descend? What part of your life, what part of your story right now, what part of your family, what part of your work, what part of your friends, what part of your relationships, what part of your, 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 your inner life that no one else knows about but you, do you need God to descend in, to come into, and to be with you in your story today? Because God wants to be a part of your story. And every story that is a God with story, no matter what despair you face in your past, it will end in hope for the future. If your story is a God with story. Church, if you would, let's, let's stand. When you think about it, the entire story, the entire story of Scripture is a story of God descending over and over again. And it blows my mind that today God would love nothing more than to descend again into your life, into my life, into our life as a church. And and the thought that really gets me excited is this thought. What would life look like for us? What would life look like for us if we lived like the God of the Bible was with us? What would life look like for you? What would life look like for our church if we believed that the God of the Bible was with us and that we believe that God was descending again today to be with us, to do life with us, to enter into our story and to turn our story of despair into a story of hope, to turn turn our mourning into dancing, our sorrow into joy. What would life look like if we believed the God of the Bible was with us? My guess is, is that in this room today there are people that for whatever reason don't feel like God is with them today. And so we're going to sing a song, and I want to invite our shepherds and their wives to make themselves available around the room at this time. And while we sing this song, there's nothing magical about them or their presence or their prayers, but I want you to know that we would love nothing more than to pray with you and for you and to usher you into the presence of God and ask God to be with you in your story, whatever's going on in your story. And you don't have to share everything that's going on, but just know they would love to pray with you and ask God to be with you. So that your story, no matter what's going on in your story, can be a story of of hope and not a story of despair. Because we believe in a God who descends. We believe in a God who descended in Jesus, who lived and who died and who rose again and who is coming again. That's the hope. That's the love that came down. That's the love that comes down again today. Let's sing.